This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hello, I'm Joyita Gupta, host of The Pulse on AMI Audio. It's a show featuring in-depth conversation about the biggest challenges facing the disability community. With today's fast-paced news cycles, it's often hard to get the big picture. Join me and other members of the disability community as we take a deeper dive into the issues that matter to you. Listen to the pulse wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes the big chance. The shot is, is this the tiger. The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. Welcome to this week's edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson. It's Friday, it's 4 o'clock. Time to talk a little sports. And talking a little sports with me this week is Claire Buchanan. Claire, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. And uh, I actually dabbled in a new sport myself yesterday evening for the first time. I tried a little bit of roller skating, which was someone with a disability. Didn't think that I would... <laughs> actually be able to do so i landed on my butt quite a few times but uh yeah i definitely gave it a shot and uh i'm i'm excited to keep going at it hold that thought i'm going we're gonna we're gonna talk about this for a few (laughs) minutes but let's introduce josh watson josh how are you i am good brock and claire i am happy it is friday would love to see a little more sunshine but hey it's december so that's what we get to deal with but on the bright side, I get to talk to the two of you for the next hour and talk about my favorite subject, sports. So let's have at it. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, my favorite day of the week. We're going to have a, a great show lined up for you. We're going to be speaking with Tim Frick, who has been a part of the women's wheelchair basketball program for a number of years. Uh, recently induct, uh, going to get the Order of Canada, which we'll discuss a bit later on. But before we do that, Claire, I must ask you, is there a video of you roller skating somewhere in the <laughs> realm of social media? No, there's, unfortunately, there's no videos. Um, the the other person kind of teaching me actually had to physically hold me up most of the time. So <laughs> there wasn't a lot of opportunity for videos and stuff. But there's there's a couple of pictures on my Instagram. Yeah, I uh, I can remember when I tried, when I was looking for a sport uh, back in the day, and one of the first ones I tried was uh, sledge hockey. And for those of you that know me, I have zero, I repeat, zero upper body strength. And so I actually spent <laughs> more time on the ice with my legs in the air than, than anything else. But I tried, and it was a solid effort. And then <laughs> yeah. I moved to wheelchair basketball, not quite on my on my uh, back for that one, but didn't quite move fast enough. And then, of course, got into bocce, and life has been good ever since. Josh, has there ever been a sport that you've tried that uh, maybe didn't go as well as you may have anticipated? Oh, I'm sure there's probably been. I, I think I remember as a preteen getting into my first racing wheelchair, which had four wheels at the time. Uh, and and pretty much going over backwards the first first time. Thankfully, my parents had the sense to put a helmet on me. So, you know, a, a little bell ringing, but no concussions that I know of. But, 
Yeah, I, I can remember my first time in a sledge as well and thinking, oh, this isn't going to be so bad and promptly went over backwards. So, you know, we've all been there, Brock. It doesn't matter how much upper body strength you have. Yeah, it's uh, fun to try to find the different sports that we all get involved with. And uh, it's it's fun. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Our Twitter, our Twitter poll question from last week with uh, free agency open in the NBA. uh are you happy with the moves that the Toronto Raptors have made thus far? 38% of you said yes, 23% of you said no, and 39% of you said they still have work to do. Quick thoughts from both of you, starting with Josh. Are you surprised by this poll? I'm a bit surprised that the yes vote and the still have work to do vote were as close as they are. Um, i Personally, when I voted in the poll, said that I felt they still had work to do only because I just look at how the season went last year. And granted, it was a a weird season, but you were the defending champs. And I just I don't know if we had enough to have repeated and we didn't. So I was hoping to see some some bigger names, at least, and. I'll I'll be the first to admit I'm not the biggest basketball guy, but I'd like to think I at least know a lot of the players out there, and I haven't really heard of anybody they've drafted so far or or signed as free agents. So I'm glad they got Fred back, but beyond that, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Um, Thoughts from... Yeah, I would have to kind of disagree with Josh a little bit. Um... I know everyone definitely wants to repeat a championship. And I think in with all these drafts and trades that um, they may not be pushing for a championship um, contention this up season, upcoming season. But I think with the trades that they've done with kind of the younger talent that they brought in, they've, I think they're giving themselves a better chance in the next say two to three years. Yeah, absolutely. There, I see both sides to it. Uh, this week's Twitter poll a question is, with the discussion of the Rogers Centre being demolished as the Toronto Blue Jays Stadium, how do you feel about this potential decision? Your options are, I love it, I hate it, I could care less. Go to all of our Twitter, po- our Twitter handles, which we'll give you in a bit, and the poll will be up shortly after the show. With that, let's get into this week's headlines. After six seasons at the helm of Toronto FC, coach Greg Vanny made the difficult decision to step down this week. Vanny holds all coaching records for the team, including games coached with 250 and wins with 111. A female goalkeeper has become the first woman to participate in a U.S. Power 5 conference football game. Daria Albringer fills us in on the historical moment. It was a moment for the history books in Saturday's SEC matchup between Vanderbilt and Missouri. And the kick down at the 35-yard line, and Sarah Fuller. Happy Thanksgiving. What a day. What a day in college football. Fuller is a goalkeeper on the Commodores women's soccer team, but with a lot of football players out due to COVID-19, they added her to the roster as a place kicker. And now she's the first woman to play in a Power 5 conference football game. The call was on 93.3 FM. The message on the back of her helmet, play like a girl. Daria Albinger, ABC News. 
the Jacksonville Jaguars have fired their GM, Dave Caldwell, following their 10th straight loss. This is something that happens when teams really do struggle, and I am not surprised at all by this move. The San Francisco 49ers are unable to play the next two games at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara due to COVID restrictions. However, they have found a temporary home at State Farm Stadium in Arizona. Those are your headlines for this week. And uh, we're just getting you set for a great show. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to wheelchair basketball coach Tim Frick, who's going to be a member of the Order of Canada. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. a message for the neutral zone call now 1-866-509-4545 and don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air let's get ready to leave a voicemail Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And uh, we're going to be having a guest, uh, Tim Frick. We're trying to connect with him as we speak. But I want to give you a little bit of background on Tim Frick first and foremost. When you hear the name Tim Frick, you might associate a couple of things. First thing is that he comes from British Columbia. And the second thing is you may associate the word success. Why? Well, because from 1990 to approximately 2008, he was part of the women's program, leading them to uh, three gold medal wins in a row at different uh, Paralympic Games and also at World Championships, winning four of those. He is now becoming a member of the Order of Canada. And so Josh is going to give you a little bit of a rundown on what exactly the Order of Canada is. Yeah, I'm a bit of a history buff, so this was fun for me to look at because, of course, I've heard of the Order of Canada, but not really known a lot about it. It was created back in uh, 1967 to uh, help celebrate Canada's centennial. And there are three levels. The Companion, which recognizes national preeminence or international service or achievement, the officer level, which recognizes national service or achievement, and the member category, which recognizes outstanding contributions at the local or regional level or in a special field or activity, which I think our next guest certainly qualifies for. Yes, certainly he does. And uh, I'd like to welcome in uh, Tim Frick. Uh, First of all, Tim, congratulations on the Order of Canada and welcome to our program. Well, thanks very much, uh Brock and I guess uh, Claire, who uh, obviously we go back quite a ways in our uh, wheelchair basketball uh, relationship. And Josh, uh, nice to uh, nice to be on the air with you guys. Thank you. Yeah, Tim, it's very nice to catch up with you. It's it's definitely been a while. And now, before we get to into your decorated career, give us a little tidbit on how wheelchair basketball kind of fell into your life. Well. I um, 
you know, I volunteered one year back in, who, 1975, I guess, uh, at uh, UBC where I was playing on the men's uh, volleyball team. And, uh, you know, we were hosting a uh, an NWBA playoff game in uh, at UBC in Warm Memorial Gym. Of course, it wasn't accessible, so they needed a bunch of athletes uh, who were relatively strong, I suppose, to carry uh, some of the equipment and uh, some of the guys in their chairs uh, up, up the stairs and back down again when the game was over. And I, I thought, uh, gee, that looks like a fun sort of game. Um, you know, the following year, I, uh, through volleyball, I met, uh, through a mutual friend, I met this guy named Rick Hansen, who's uh, pretty famous in, uh, in Canada, of course. And, you know, Rick was standing up with his, uh, he just had his, uh, he had his braces and uh, crutches. And uh, it was just sort of a meeting in passing. And, um, you know, I didn't, uh, I just thought maybe he had a, you know, a sprained ankle or something. That's why he had the crutches and didn't really sort of uh, see him walk. So, so uh, that was nice. And then the following year, I was working at UBC, a uh, summer job, looking after facilities. Uh, Rick was a summer student that was hired by uh, BC Wheelchair Sports to help organize the, uh, the BC Summer Games for athletes with disabilities. And so uh, I, you know, I, I went to this organizational meeting and I see this guy comes wheeling in with a big smile on his face, calls me by name because, you know, he's got a memory like a steel trap. He looks familiar, but I can't place him. And, um, you know, uh, before, uh, before I knew it, uh, he had recruited me to play wheelchair volleyball and, or uh, sorry, to coach wheelchair volleyball, I should say, and to play wheelchair basketball because they all needed extra players. So, so I got that opportunity to start playing in uh, 1977. And how did you become specifically involved with the women's program, Tim? Well, that's a, <laughs> I, you know, I, so obviously then, uh, you know, after coaching Rick and obviously Terry Fox as well in wheelchair volleyball and athletics and playing basketball and then coaching wheelchair basketball uh, locally and provincially in the, in the uh, late eighties, I kind of retired from coaching, um, you know, after going with Rick on the world tour for, for about a third of the way. And, um, I, uh, I, I just uh, done an interview for a, a coaching magazine on, on uh, you know, sort of uh, the art of coaching, I guess. You, uh, uh, and I was kind of pumped up about coaching, and I get this phone call from uh, MJ uh, Waugh, and uh, she was the uh, high-performance director at the time. And uh, she said, uh, oh, you know, we're looking for a coach. This was in the uh, winter of 89, sort of approaching Christmas. We're looking for a coach for the... Uh, national women's team would you be interested and of course uh you know i was kind of retired at the time thought i'd done pretty well coaching rick and terry and a few other you know teams and uh, we'd won a few national championships in a variety of sports so i thought no that's a great career um anyway i was so pumped from doing this interview about this uh, uh, for this article for this magazine that um i said well I'll, I'll think about it a little bit and so then i thought about it a bit and Went to a bit of an interview, and uh, and then I said, okay. They offered me uh, the opportunity to do it. I said, all right, I'll do it for one year. I promise you I'll get the program uh, on its feet. I'll create a positive environment. You know, we'll overperform. That was my guarantee in 1990 at Worlds. And um, and uh, and then you can turn it over to, uh, you know, someone else because, uh, you know, I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> now, you can say un- overperform 
Very well, because you won three consecutive gold medals and four world championships. And now during that time, how were you able to keep Canada at such a high level internationally? Yeah, well, that's uh, obviously, and a couple of bronze medals, I, I should add, uh, into that mix as well. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I, the first thing I asked for, is there any game uh, tape on uh, some of the other countries so I could at least prepare the, the, the tactics and so on? And of course, nobody had any and uh, in those days. And, um, and so I thought to myself, well, you know, physically, we are what we are. We can do fitness training and all that sort of stuff. We're only, you know, we got some tall players, some short players, some quick players, and so on. And, you know, if we can do a good job fitness-wise, I think we'll be all right. Uh, technically and tactically, um, you know, we'll just have to make do with uh, whatever we've skills we've got to date and try to put them into a, uh, um, you know, some sort of a tactical plan that's a little bit chaotic so the other teams can't... Uh, predict what we do as well but most importantly i figured that none of the other teams in the world probably do any mental training and so i thought well if we max out on the mental training just go absolutely wild on it do tons of visualization tons of goal setting tons of distraction control tons of focus training uh tons of training to play in the moment and, and to to try to have that to play in the zone as it were and not not the neutral zone of course but that that high performance zone where you're, um, you know, you're just on fire and, and everything is in this state of flow. I figured um, if we could do that, um, then that might be the edge uh, that we needed to to win. And you know, quite frankly, I don't think we were ever the better team through that whole stretch, you know, physically uh, or technically or tactically. But certainly, uh, we were the better team mentally, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, that paid off. Uh, for us uh, quite quite nicely tim i i love the uh add-in of no it wasn't quite the neutral zone but i love the <laughs> pun there of throwing in our show name we appreciate that we're joined by uh tim frick who uh was the coach of the women's program for the almost two decades and was very successful i'm joined by claire buchanan and josh watson you're of course listening to the neutral zone on ami audio you had the opportunity to do some work with the Man in Motion tour with Rick Hansen. Can you tell us what it was like working with him on that? Well, gosh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, my first introduction to sort of working with Rick was, um, you know, he wanted me to help coach athletics and and uh, in the road racing. So, you know, being a phys ed guy and an exercise physiology guy, I studied, you know, uh, cross-country skiing and, you know, skating and all kinds of stuff to try to, and running and to try to, you know, put together sort of a training program. But, you know, Rick's idea of, of getting me involved really was to uh, put me in a chair and get me to uh, wheel 10K around Stanley Park, um, you know, just so I could sort of get the experience of it. And uh, and so, you know, 29 or 30 blisters later on that one day, I think I sort of got the idea. And so I was able to... Um, you know, to have a better appreciation. Working with Rick in particular and also with Terry, um, you know, you don't come across athletes like that uh, too terribly often that, uh, you know, if you tell them to wheel through uh, a brick wall, they actually will try it. And you got to be darn careful what you sort of say. So, um, you know, things like overtraining and just that intensity and that focus and that, that desire to, um, 
you know, trained so hard and so powerfully, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty neat feeling. And the other thing I would say, you know, working with Rick and then into the Man in Motion Tour is, um, you know, he, he was always uh, open to innovative, you know, kind of uh, concepts. You know, we, we built our own sets of rollers, you know, just out of spare parts we found laying around. Um, you know, in the early days, we, we did some really goofy training things. You know, uh, I can remember reading somewhere that uh, seemed like a really good idea to drink a quart of honey or something in the uh, 12 hours before a marathon, and it was supposedly going to give you extra energy. So, you know, I got Rick up every couple hours, uh, you know, overnight to, to drink p- parts of that quart of honey, and, of course, you know, the lack of sleep probably was worse than whatever the benefit was from, from uh, you know, that sort of carbohydrate. But, you know, the innovation and uh, that sort of desire for success um, really would be, uh, you know, some great attributes for any, any athlete to take forward. And you, you have those same qualities as a coach, and you're so very de- deserving of the Order of Canada. And so... What does it mean to you to be receiving this? Oh, wow. Boy, boy, I tell you, I, I uh, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate, I suppose, in terms of, you know, it's almost getting embarrassing, you know, winning different types of awards and being recognized in different ways. But, but you know, when I, when I think back about, you know, what we accomplished, you know, having Coach Terry Fox and Rick Hansen, you know, having coached our women's national team uh, for all those years, winning so many gold medals, going, you know, over a decade uh, undefeated at the international level, um, you know, it it, uh, it was a really uh, a special time. And to be recognized um, for that, um, you know, in, a, in the sports world that, that really says, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of thing, uh, to be recognized, um, you know, for those years of, um, of uh, dedication and uh innovation and creativity and, and uh, commitment, um, you know, and believing in, uh, in our athletes and our, and our country. I think, uh, it's, it's really a, a tremendous honor and I'm, I'm absolutely humbled and, and brought to tears, uh, you know, just over the honor. After such a wonderful career and success coaching wheelchair basketball, are there th- any things that you've learned about yourself that you may not have learned if it weren't for wheelchair basketball? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very uh, a very good question. Uh, I mean, you know, getting involved in, uh, in the wheelchair sport movement, the parasport movement, you know, being seeing so many different sports and trying so many different sports, um, you know, I think, uh, I think uh, – what it has helped me become is an advocate in general for uh, uh, around the awareness of what's possible out there for athletes. Um, it's been great uh, coaching at my uh, little elementary school here on Pender Island for the last 10 years or so. You know, we go around and do, uh, we, you know, we, we have a wheelchair basketball team here. We, you know, we do a week of wheelchair basketball and PE classes um, every year. There's, there's chairs at the school, you know, so the kids, are really aware of what the possibilities are out there. And I, and I think becoming an advocate for that awareness um, uh, is, has really uh, changed my life and really, uh, you know, it's been a great, uh, a great purpose, I, I suppose, that uh, 
gets you going every day and and um, you know gives you a real uh, true satisfaction. Tim, it was really uh, such an honor to have you on the program, and I. Not uh, sure if we've met in person, but uh, I certainly know the name uh, Tim Frick uh, through uh, you know my my time in the Paralympic community, and just so well deserving of the award. And uh, congratulations on a real great career, and uh, all the best in the future. All right, thank you very much, and uh, great to talk to you guys. And I'm sure that I've been in the uh, the gym out uh, out your way doing uh, basketball. So if you were ever near there. Our paths certainly would have crossed, uh, and Josh as well, obviously. Yes. And nice to and speak with you again, Claire. And it was fantastic catching up with you, Tim. Congrats. Thank you very much. That was uh, wheelchair basketball coach uh, Tim Frick, who was a three-time gold medalist and won uh, plenty of world championships as well. And as we've said many of times through this interview, well, well deserving of the Order of Canada and uh, congratulations to him. And we will have him again down the line. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about the Olympic Games, what implications money will have to do with it as we are a little over seven months away from the alleged start of the game. Hang in. We'll be right back. six ways to get in touch with the neutral zone on twitter number one at ami audio number two at neutral zone br number three at neutral zone brett number four at neutral zone cam j number five at cp buchanan 13 and number six at j watson 200 now get out there and tweet one for the gift <laughs> Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I am your host, Brookerson, joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. You want to win an iPhone 11? Well, it is possible. How? Well, AMI is running a contest between November 23rd and December 11th, which is only a week away. Subscribe to your favorite podcast. Give them a rating and review. And then go to ami.ca slash podcast dash contest to fill out the entry form and you have a week to fill this out so do get your opportunity in there and of course your chances to win depend on how many people register for the contest if you are an ami employee or contractor you are not eligible for this contest also it is only open to canadian residents and you must be 18 years and older to register so again go to ami.ca slash podcast dash contest to fill out the entry form and everything will be there for you and good luck well guys there's lots i want to get to in this segment the first part of this is with the games being a little over seven months away there is uh ongoing statements saying everything's a go alex stone gives us more on this particular topic. 
At this point, the delayed Olympics are scheduled to get underway next summer in Tokyo. Local organizers announcing now they plan to hold 18 test events in March, April, and May. It comes on the same day Tokyo announced a record COVID-19 case count. Events like a May 9th track and field meet will be meant to test pandemic safeguards. At least four of the test events, swimming, gymnastics, diving, and volleyball, will involve athletes from abroad. None of the test events will allow fans from abroad. Alex Stone, EBC News. The cost to running the games of Tokyo could run upwards to $2.8 billion. Charles Diladesma gives us more on this information. The high figure is in line with estimates that have been made in Japan since the Olympics were postponed eight months ago. About two-thirds of the costs are being picked up by two government entities, with the other one-third going to the privately funded organising committee. The figure for coronavirus countermeasures is about $920 million and is being covered solely by the world's governments. The ballooning Tokyo costs could reinforce scepticism about holding the Olympics in the middle of a pandemic. I'm Charles Duladesma. And I want to correct myself there. That would be the postponement of the games would be uh, $2.8 billion. And, of course, uh, Charles Desma gave us a rundown of numbers. Uh, guys, I just want to uh, discuss with you guys that the average uh, summer games to be run is $393 million. And that's expensive in and of itself. And obviously with the COVID measures, this would drive it up uh, with what they would have to cost uh, there. I just want to get your overall thoughts. Start with you, Claire, and then we'll go to Josh. I mean, I'm the type of person that with this type of drastic um, kind of window of extra money and extra costs, I would like to see like why it's so high. Um, I realize that things have to be pushed back and changed and stuff because of it being delayed, but it's, it's really mind boggling. Like why, why is this number so high? Yeah, I agree. I mean, $2.8 billion is not pocket change for sure. Uh, I can only assume that there must have been contracts written or or something that's adding to that total, but that's that's a huge number when you compare to what a, an average Olympics uh, tends to cost. Uh, in terms of running the games themselves, I suppose that it could make sense. I mean, we're hearing in the news lately about different vaccines that are being uh, given approval and how they're going to be rolled out. Uh, So presumably you could make sure that Olympic athletes are the first ones to be vaccinated. But even so, it's it's kind of a odd thought to be running an Olympics and even a Paralympics in a pandemic. Yeah, and I'm not sure, guys, like as a former uh, Paralympian myself, I'm not really sure if... I would be the type of person that would be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll be the first in line to go. And my fear would be, okay, you're you're going to go represent your country. Are you going to do your research before you just say, well, I don't want to lose out on representing my country. So 
here, just just vaccinate me. And who who really knows what the long term effects of this vaccine may be. So for me, I'd have to do a lot of research and a lot of consideration as to whether I would be okay with, you know, injecting this this into me and and going to the games. Oh, absolutely. I mean, vaccines, for one, don't just happen overnight. Um, it's It hasn't even been a year since COVID kind of hit us. And we're, we're hoping that a vaccine pops up, but we also, we can't rush into it either. Um, vaccines take science and time and research and trials. And it's, I to me, it would be too soon for a vaccine. Yeah, I... I, I don't know. I don't know a lot about science myself. I'm I'm optimistic that the same protocols that would be in place for a traditional vaccine would be in place for this one. But I totally understand what you're both saying. I guess in terms of would I go given the opportunity, Brock, what I would say is there were people who were worried about going to Rio and that seems to have worked out okay. The the virus that they were dealing with at that time seemed to be managed. So I, I'm optimistic, but it's it's definitely a weird situation for me. Yeah, it is weird. And I mean... For me, if these games don't uh, run this summer, there's no way they can push it another year because right around the corner from there would be uh, the 2023 uh, Beijing Olympic and Paralympic Games. So you're certainly not going to have one games in, 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 in one area and then another one in Beijing. It, it just doesn't make sense. So to me, if you're going to push this off, you're going to push it off to the point where, okay, the next time we have an opening for the Olympic and Paralympic Games, this is when we're going to slot it in. But as I've heard a lot recently, there's not a lot of countries who are saying, yeah, we're going to put up our hand and we're going we're gonna to put on an Olympics and Paralympic Games because it's just not viable, Claire. So, And over the last, you know, two, three Olympic and Paralympic Games, we keep hearing this over and over again. We're running out of cities that want these types of games. Yeah, it's just becoming too much either money-wise or just planning-wise. And we saw, and for anyone who saw the Netflix documentary Rising Phoenix, just got an in-depth view of, of how stressful putting together the Rio games were and they actually almost didn't happen because of money. And it's, it brings me back to the question of this new kind of budget that they have for this Olympics with the Paralympics kind of having their own budget. What does that number look like? Yeah. And I mean, I know it is in the millions, uh, that number, but it's, uh, Certainly not uh, in the neighborhood of the average $393 million, which is um, a lot of money in and of itself. And as we saw in the documentary Rising Phoenix, they took from some of the Paralympic budget to make the Olympic Games run and be its thing. And that's my concern, Josh, in this case, when you're talking about having to allocate extra funds because of 
pandemic uh, requirements and COVID-19, you must do this, you must do that. So that's where I get a little worried, especially just watching Rising Phoenix, which said this is exactly what happened. Absolutely. I think that's very definitely a concern. And I mean, I'm glad that that documentary has come out because hopefully that will make international communities more vigilant about that sort of thing and make sure that the two games, while being brothers, if you will, are still separate entities with separate budgets that cannot be touched. But we've seen many times where, unfortunately, disabled sport tends to be an afterthought. So I I think that's a very real concern, and I hope and pray it doesn't happen. And because, Claire, the community itself has now seen Rising Phoenix and this happening in Rio, that would be the first question on my mind is, if we're not running this, did you fund uh, the, the Tokyo Games for the extra cost that it would be? to run this. And if I was an athlete, I'd be really upset. Absolutely. I mean, it, when it comes down to it, these are athletes. It's, it's all about the athletes. It's the Olympic and Paralympic games. And that's what it's revolved around is these athletes that put in 40 to 50 to 60 hours per week to train for their country and to be at these games that are gone in a week. And so when it comes down to it, these it's, it sucks that kind of money takes over, but um, hopefully people have kind of the mindset that they keep the athletes at the forefront. Yeah, Absolutely. I totally, I totally agree. Uh, would you guys attend the games if you were in the position of Tokyo 2020, as it is uh, still called that, but it will be in uh, 2021, of course. I mean, I, I wouldn't for... make a... Go ahead, Claire. I wouldn't make a decision right now. Um, as an athlete, it's still seven months out. So I would, as an athlete, if training and stuff is still going on, I would still continue to train and and see if things do get better. And so I think I think right now it it would it kind of be a kind of premature decision, but um, it's definitely coming down to crunch time to really decide if if this is happening or not. Yeah, absolutely. I would want to wait and make sure that it was happening. I I would still be training if I was in that position, of course. And I would see what the early returns, so to speak, are on these vaccines that have come out. Do they seem to be bringing down numbers? I mean, we heard in the piece from Charles Ledesma that, that that numbers in Japan are climbing just like they are here in Canada and in the U.S. So I, I think it's at this point dangerous to be talking about having an Olympics or a Paralympics right now. But money talks. And much like professional sports, I think we'll find that these games probably will go off as scheduled. And my concern, and this is where I'll close this segment off, my concern is the ego of the athletes and not in a negative way, you may only get one opportunity to represent your country. So are you willing to take that risk to be able to say that you represented your country? And that is the question that athletes really need to ask themselves is what's more important. Do I feel safe? Are there the right protocols in place where I can feel comfortable going? And that's the decision to me that's going to have to be made probably early in 21 in order for 
you as athletes if they decide to go to go to the game. So lots of uh, great discussion to be had moving forward. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little uh, NFL football. There's COVID-19 concerns over there too. We will discuss right after this here on the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. And we really have had a great show. We've uh, spoken to uh, Tim Frick, and we've also had a lengthy discussion on the Olympics and Paralympic Games. So if you missed, go to our podcast or check our repeats out. They are throughout the weekend. There's a couple of times you can uh, re-listen to us over the weekend. Guys, I really wanted to flip gears to uh, the NFL uh, football situation. And this is a bit of a mess talking about COVID-19. There are some concerns over that as well. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, Baltimore Ravens game was supposed to run on Thursday, which was American Thanksgiving, which was postponed till Sunday, then postponed till Tuesday, then finally played at a random time of 3.30 in the afternoon. And here's the kicker. Uh, The ball... they, it just was a mess of a game, and uh, they they really didn't have things going their way. And, I mean, it ended up being a good game at the end, but it just started out to be real sloppy. Josh, I know you caught a bit of this game as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, from a fan perspective, I got the chance to see, you know, Thursday football, Sunday football, Monday football, and then Wednesday football. So I, I wasn't complaining in that regard, but 3.30 in the afternoon was a, a very strange time to have it. You could have had it in prime time and probably gotten more eyeballs on the game. But just seeing Baltimore without Lamar Jackson and having RG3 back under center and some of the players that were missing, you just you, you kind of wonder. And, of course, we're, we're going to talk about this as well. You've got that game that kept being postponed and postponed. And then you've got the Denver Broncos game where they couldn't field a NFL quarterback. And yet Denver was told, no, your game is going ahead. It's like, wait a minute. What what's going on here? Like, does the NFL know what it's doing? I'm I'm not so sure. I mean. (laughs) They, they. No, you, you make a good point. It's a, they, it's two very similar situations. It's players either sick or putting other players at risk for getting sick. And two different outcomes of, okay, these guys get to play and uh, these guys don't. So it's really, they, yeah, they really have to get on the same page of, um, of kind of what the consequences are for, for not following COVID protocols. And, and that's you know, kind of what it feels like is that the the Broncos were almost punished for what happened to them, whereas the the Ravens and Steelers were kind of like, oh, it's okay, we'll just bump your game back. It's like, wait a minute. And you know the weirdest thing about that whole situation, and I'll give you the the details here in a second. But Roger Goodell was asked in the halftime, you know. Why was this game supposedly uh, put on a pedestal and the 
the, the other game, not so much. And he basically stood there for about two minutes and went, oh, well, you know, uh, the league kind of agreed to this and blah, blah, blah. No, of course they didn't agree to it. There, there's no way you can tell me that Denver went, okay, yeah, we're going to play a wide receiver on our practice squad and we're okay with this? Are you kidding me, Claire? Like, how can you, how can you sit there and say, oh, yeah, everyone was cool with this? No way. <laughs> how can you imagine going into that game as that player? Like, I'm surprised he just didn't get just destroyed. Um, it was like... It's unfortunate that he just kind of got thrown into that position. And honestly, for me, as as the decision, I, sh- I think that the game should have been canceled altogether. And the consequence of those players not following protocols should have been you take the L. You take the loss. And it's, I mean, so there's got to be consequences somewhere, right? Well, and let's I mean, be fair, by starting your your practice squad wide receiver as your quarterback, you basically are taking the L. It's just that the league forced them to play the game anyway. I mean, it's the first... I, I actually sat and watched that Denver game because I wanted to so see did I. what a debacle it would be. And <laughs> I, I think it's the first game I've watched where somebody actually had more interceptions than he had completed passes. It was It, it, it was painful. I mean, for me, the thing is, and the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna credit the gentleman who got to start as quarterback. His name was Kendall Hinton, and he doesn't even play the same position. Like a wide receiver is someone that's supposed to catch the football, not throw it. <laughs> like for those of you, those of you listening, going, I don't know the difference. Well, the difference is one position supposed to catch the football, and the other one's supposed to throw it. So, like, I, I don't get it, and like. I get that your four other quarterbacks were were on COVID-19 protocol because they tested positive or been in close contact with another player. But come on, you're going to play a wide receiver and say, basically, good luck. Hope you can throw the football about 15 times in the next (laughs) three hours because that's what's going to happen. I mean, it was just incredible. (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't do like a a Carolina Hurricanes and, and see if their janitor or something has ever thrown a football before. Well, I they think tried they to get tried. Their... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 they tried they, to get one of their coaches, and the league said no. Like It felt like the league to... was punishing them. They tried to get their strength and conditioning coach, for goodness sake. And the league said, uh, no, I don't think so. And so, like, this begs the question, guys. Is the NFL playing over their head with all these COVID-19 concerns? Claire, start with you. 100% yes. Like from the beginning of the NFL season, we've been talking about this for what, 11, 12 weeks now is that they just have not handled COVID well at all. Um, it's, they've had some good points and some good times where they they have, but it has not been consistent across the board. And they're just kind of, they're just like throwing ideas up in the air and hoping that they stick. And it's, it seems very clumsy. But yet, Josh Commissioner Roger Goodell is standing there going, yeah, I support this and marching around going, I still collect my paycheck. What's your problem? Well, that's that's exactly the problem. You've got too much money involved. Again, we, we just talked in the last segment about money. The NFL is is looking at, well, how much money are we going to lose by not having these games? And, I mean, 
they where they're falling down is in the fact that there's not one standard for each game. There's there's not one consequence like oh your team has too many COVID cases you didn't follow protocol well you you take the loss. No, it's like well we're going to postpone this game. We're going to make this team play with their their eighth string quarterback or whatever. Eighth? I don't even I don't even know if it was that high to be honest. Like I, really, I know I, don't. I know, but I mean. <laughs> They, they had an opportunity to build in extra weeks at the end of the season before the Super Bowl if they needed them. But no, we didn't do that. They had the opportunity potentially to, to do a bubble scenario. They didn't do that. It's just, it's a mess. I, I even tweeted before the, the Bronco game, like, this is a joke. This is such a disaster. But what can you do? Money is money. Contracts are contracts. And if you're the NFL, Claire, don't you want to extend your season when, I don't know, there isn't any sports to watch right now anyway, so what's the difference? (laughs) Yeah, at a time where everyone's literally drooling and craving for more sports, um, like Josh said, they had the opportunity to extend the NFL season, which people have been wanting for years now, and they, they lost the opportunity to do that, and honestly, it would have been... It would have brought in more revenue, I think. So I think they, yeah, they they missed it on that one for sure. Well, and, and the, the competitive is- balance is just all screwed up now. Like, you, you can't seriously think that Denver was competitive in that game. Like, above all and- else, you should have competitive games. And the fact is, Roger Goodell stands there and says, it's all about competitive balance. And you sit in there with the masses and you decide to start a a wide receiver instead of a quarterback? Give me a break, Roger Goodell. My goodness. But we all still fall for watching the NFL every single week. And that's what the NFL wants. I'm still supporting my Buffalo Bills. And that's the... uh, important thing i guess but it's got to be about the health and safety of the players and i just simply do not see that guys quick thoughts does the season get finished yes or no josh absolutely there's too much money involved i agree with josh it it, yeah it's gonna it's definitely gonna finish They, they they they're looking for the money It's all about the bottom dollar, folks, and that's what the NFL seems to be after rather than the player protection. I'd like to thank Claire Buchanan, Josh Watson. I'd also like to thank our technical producer is Matt Agnew. Our audio technical supervisor is Paula Deneen, and of course, our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone, and of course, we always get riled up. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week, and be safe. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.